Father, we thank you for your love. To you're mindful of every person in this room, all their conditions and all their situations. And your plan is to make us like your son, being conformed into his image. So we thank you, Lord, for every circumstance, both good and bad, that have had a work in our heart to make us more like Jesus. That you've always been there. Just begin to thank him for how many times he's been there for you. Just begin to thank him. Say, thank you, God. Thank you for how many times you've been there for me. Just thank him. appreciate you, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for this morning. We thank you for this time. Bless and encourage the hearts that are here. Open our ears to hear and my, our eyes to see. Let me speak of you and not of myself. Let your word be true in our life as we allow it to have its perfect way through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Guys, I appreciate y'all more than you know. You guys okay? Everybody good? Yeah. 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 Two of you are okay. <laughs> Real quick, if you guys, if you have children and you want to send them back, you can. If you want to keep them with you, that's totally fine too. But real fast, uh, I want to get um, a friend of mine to come up and announce something for me. Wesley, if you want to come and announce what you guys got going on. Jacob, I sent you a little deal. Can you throw that up on the board, please? Uh, Chad has been gracious enough, and you guys have been gracious enough to allow us to use the facilities for a, uh, a conference that's going to be coming here for uh, John G. Lake Ministries. So they're going to do a divine healing technician training here on the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of July. Uh, we'll have the dates, and we'll have all the stuff, and it's right behind me. Great. So uh, we're just partnering with some people here in town that are part of John G. Lake, and uh, they're going to be bringing a guy from John G. Lake Ministries here to do the training for us. And on Saturday after the training, we'll be having a healing service here. So, like, come for the training, absolutely. Uh, they say, according to stats that they have, that if you sit through the training, you end up getting healed without even getting prayed for just because of the revelation that comes. So we just, we just want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. And, of course, come for healing. Uh, come for the Word of God. Come for the Spirit that we know will be here. And we just want to thank you guys and want to thank Chad for allowing us to use the facilities. Thank you. Um, 
if you can make that, I would encourage you to do that. I went through that class, I don't know, 20 years ago, I think, um, when Curry Blake taught it somewhere. I don't remember where, where was it at. Do you remember? Dallas? I don't remember. It was really, really good. So um, I imagine it's the same. Um, so I, I would encourage you guys, if you can make that, um, yeah, I, 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 would, I would really highly recommend it. So um, I won't probably be able to make all of them, but I'm going to try to pop in as much as I can. Um, so anyway, we wanted to announce that to you guys and give you that opportunity to, um, to do that. And thanks for allowing you, you know, us to be a part of it and host it. And, and yeah, I pray you guys are blessed by that. All right. I have some things that I want to carry on in my heart. There's been a lot of, um, the Bible says that you should know the state of your flocks, right? So anytime you put your hand to something, you need to ask God for the wisdom to know how and what is going on because people are not a random string of events. Life is not a random string of events. I know we feel like it is. Like we're just constantly on the ropes waiting for the next thing to hit so we can process through it, get past it, and then hit the next one until we just finally die. That's not really the point. (laughs) So um, I want to maybe close out this wisdom series with this message. We've been talking about wisdom the last four or five weeks and the necessity, the importance of it. How many of you guys have been blessed by the teaching so far? Has it helped you? Um, you know, wisdom is so vital through the scriptures, um, but it's so undertaught. When God decided to make the world, he used wisdom to do it. So everything that you live in that you think is reality is the fruit of wisdom. <clears throat> it says the worlds were framed by wisdom. And so were you. But it's interesting enough to me that it's one of the few things that we don't, that we have to continue asking for in Scripture. There's many things that people ask for that I don't know why they're asking for them because you already have them. And it creates Christian confusion to ask for things you already have because God can't answer that prayer. (laughs) You understand that? If you pray for things you already have, that's a prayer God cannot answer. You just need your faith to activate, to believe in what you already have been given. Wisdom, however, is one of the things that if you figure out you're lacking, you need to ask for it. James is writing to believers, not heathens, saved people. And wisdom is not some logical application to a circumstance. Though sometimes it can apply itself that way through knowledge, We understand that wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are three separate entities. In our modern Christendom, we lump them into one, thus doing an injustice to the seven spirits of God and what what God inhabits on Christ in in Isaiah. With me? So, that's just a little bit of a teaser for you to go back and listen to the last few messages. If you don't want to do that because I bore you, then I don't know why you came today. (laughs) Um... We'll work on trying to get another pastor. We're, we're, we're raising a few people up. So, Luke chapter 2. I want to start laying out for you, the, again, the intention and purpose of the Lord. God's goal for you to, is to be like his son, not just to receive his son. Yes. 
Many in here have received him, but we're not like him. The goal is to be like him, not just to receive him. So much of modern Christianity is based upon the reception instead of the likeness. You start talking to people and they want to tell you how they were born again however many years ago. That's great. Praise God. Really, praise God. But what, what do you look like now? Do you look like him? That's the goal. So how does God do that? How does God get us from reception to inception, to this indwelling, manifestated, re- manifestation of reality of Christ? How does, he, how does he get A to Z? We think many times it's by going to conferences and having people lay hands on you and get greater revelation and greater teaching and greater understanding and greater knowledge and greater insight and, and greater ability and you know fasting and praying. And, no, those things are duties. Do you know how God actually works his nature inside of you? It's through difficulty. How many want difficulty? Let me reframe it like this. How many want to be like Jesus? Well, then you want difficulty. I'm going to be honest with you. Anybody that tells you that you can follow the master without difficulty is a liar. And they, either that or they're completely ignorant and they're immature and they haven't walked this journey long enough to let their own theology be dashed upon the rocks of circumstance. You do this long enough, and you're going to realize that your theology will betray you, but Jesus never will. Everything you learn, everything you think, everything you know, there will be a circumstance that comes to your life that challenges every revelation you think you've ever received. Because the revelation isn't greater understanding. The revelation is manifest presence. And that's supposed to happen in storms, not in spite of them. with me? So Luke chapter 2, I want to go through these verses real quick. Jacob, how fast are you on that mouse? (laughs) He's he's, he's shaking his head. Okay, maybe I should just read him. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Jesus increased. Wait a minute, I thought he was perfect. Do you understand the difference between growing and perfection are two different things? Jesus was perfect, yet he had to grow. We think perfection is a rival. No. No. See, perfection literally means completion, and that happened on the cross. Now you have to walk out what he put in. You have to grow just like he did. You are forced into the nature of Christ by the blood of Jesus and the DNA of God. That nature commands for you and I to grow. If we do not grow, then the cross of Jesus Christ and the inception and the birth and the new life that we celebrate absolutely means nothing because what happens is is that hardships and trial begin to overtake our Christianity. How many of you want a baby who's born and yet never matures past the age of three? It's not the purpose. It's not the intention. In fact, 
What, what ha- if you have a baby that ends up some, sort, some, some way deformed because it doesn't grow past a certain age, what's the first thing you do? You take them to a physician. Why? Because something is wrong. They're not growing. You with me? You catch the parallel? Do I have to explain it? Okay. Jesus grew. He increased in wisdom and stature. Wisdom was one of the spirits that rests upon Christ in Isaiah. It should rest on us as well. Everybody wants the ability to say, show me a coin, but doesn't want to grow up into the spirit of wisdom. Okay? Luke chapter 2, again, we're going to back up, verse 40. This is a little bit earlier in Jesus' life. It says, the child grew, he waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. We think that it was a physical growth. It was a physical growth, but it was also a spiritual growth. He had to come up into the full humanity that we possess. This is why the Bible says he was tempted as all points as we are. It wasn't just from temptation, but it was manifesting the entire realm of humanity within himself, undergoing the exact process that we had to go through and making it possible for us because he went through it. Let everyone in the name of the name of Christ live as he lived, 1 John. Not believe as he believed or taught as he taught. But live as he lived. Some translations say walk, but the word literally means live. To live as Jesus lived. Tall order. Not in God's mind. In God's mind, that's not a big request. Do you know why? Because he gave you his essence, his DNA called the Holy Spirit. The life force that keeps God, God, eternal, past, present, and future is now infused inside of your body. And the only thing that keeps us from growing is rebellion. Period. You with me? It's already starting out rough. Okay, we're going to keep going. Galatians chapter 4 says, verse 19, My little children, of whom I travail again in, in birth until Christ be formed in you. How many of you guys know the context of Galatians is that people received the gospel with grace, and then they went back to a heretical idea of works without realizing it, which is where the American church is, and they don't realize it. And then Paul begins to pray. He says, I'm, I'm travailing again in birth for, until Christ be formed in you. Why would he say that to people who are already saved? Because they quit growing. And Paul's desire was God's desire in that Christ would be formed in us. This is the intention of God. It's not so that your circumstances can be fixed. It's not so that your body can be healed. Those are peripheral issues that happen because of Christ being formed in us. You with me? If we make the byproduct the prime product, we end up inverting the kingdom. Jesus teaches us to pray in heaven as in earth, right? Why? Because that's the ultimate reality. Do I believe in healing? Absolutely. You know how many people I've prayed for that didn't get healed? A lot. 
There's only two options you can do with that. You either blame yourself or you blame the person. And neither one of them are accurate. Sometimes, sometimes you're outside of your season. I know a lot of people will disagree with me on that, but here, let me, let me finish my sermon and then, then we'll go from there. Once you do this a long time, you begin to see things that, that the people who are just entering into it don't see. And it's amazing. When, you, when I look back, I was just as ignorant. I was like, man, I thought this was one way, and now it's another. And, I, and every three to five years, God just works such a deep work in me. I, I end up going back and going, man, I thought I knew, I thought I knew what he was doing. And I'm sure if Jesus tarries 10 years from now, if that me could come and talk to me now, he'd slap me in the face and say, you're an idiot. <laughs> and that's how it is. Because God is eternal, and for him to, to have himself manifest in us, we're never going to have the full, complete picture because we're never going to fully understand him in this body. Yeah. And so it's very dangerous to make black and white blueprints of peripheral issues as if they're the ultimate reality of truth. Because God exists outside of those realities because he himself is the reality. And disappointment will come if you begin to nail certain things down as an ultimate truth that always has to operate in every circumstance and season of your life. You with me? This is why we get confused as seasons move on in our life because God is not moving in our life the way he did the first time. How many of you guys have ever been, how many of you have been saved longer than 10 years? Okay, let me, keep your hand up. Saved longer than 10 years. How many of you remember the first couple years of your salvation where God just literally showered you in grace and it's so easy, it was awesome, the presence, it just, it was, and then how many of you guys remember when you fell off that reality? <laughs> and you're like, What happened? Like, I'm doing something wrong. I must have sin in my life. And, and it wasn't that. It was that you were an infant, you were a baby, and God now is trying to say, no, you're going to get up and walk. Amen. Right? But it, the, people who, the people who are being carried, that's their ultimate reality. And they want to superimpose that reality on everybody else and say, no, it's all about God just the grace and because that's where they're at because that's the ultimate reality. But somebody's walked 25 years and it's just looking at them going, you'll, you'll be okay. You ever had a three-year-old walk up to you and make a statement so adamant and so defiant that they like, that's the absolute truth, and you just look at them and chuckle and think, that's so cute. <laughs> when we try to superimpose what God is doing in a small place in our life into his ultimate reality, we end up making a caricature of God himself. Okay? Are you with me? The goal is to have Christ formed in us. That takes circumstances that go against the grain of our desired reality. And God doesn't do it really fast because it would just destroy us. So he takes us through these micro seasons, two to five years, if you will, and he takes us through these realities and then we begin to shift and change and we go from what? Glory to glory. How many of you realize that the glory you're in now gives context to the glory you were in before? But the glory you had before, you thought it was the ultimate reality, but yet you were missing a lot of context. 
that hasn't happened to you yet, and this is completely out of, over your head, and you have no clue what I'm talking about, just live long enough serving Jesus, and it'll make sense. <clears throat> Romans 8.29, for whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed. Those words formed in Galatians 4.19 and, and, and conformed in 8.29 are a word that comes uh, from metamorphosis, to morph, to change, to grow from one thing into another. It's a process. It's literally the same word we use for a butterfly and a cocoon being transformed from one thing to another. It doesn't happen just because the, the caterpillar decides my DNA is meant to fly, so therefore I'm going to will myself into that because that's not how it works. It has to go through a season of death. It has to go through a season of process, of transition, of darkness. It has to go through a season of waiting. It has to go through a season of difficulty. It has to go through a season of letting go everything it thought reality was into what God knows it's destined to be. You with me? It's not wrong for a caterpillar to claim the faith of a butterfly, but it's wrong for a butterfly to think like a caterpillar. But you have to go through the process, the hiding, the endurance, the place of death, the place of darkness, the place of difficulty, the place of believing, the place of trust, the place that nobody wants to go. That's what the word here in those two verses mean, that Christ is being formed in you. You, go, you undergo a metamorphosis where people look at you and go, you're a shell of what you, what you used to be. And well-meaning people come in and they try to place their reality, their current reality, into your reality because they've never been where you are. And they're just like, well, you know, they try to take that one little truth that they have and apply it to your situation when it's not even applicable anymore. Do you realize this? And I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll clarify this later. But do you understand that the word of God is absolutely true, but it's not always applicable to every season? I can prove it. Over and over and over in the Bible. Scriptures are true, but they don't always apply to the season. Do you realize that Jesus' sons submit to the seasons? The seasons guide the sons of God into the glory and the will of the Father. One season, Jesus has to submit to his mother. And the next season, he has to walk away from that. Both are true. But if he's in this reality of walking away from his mother, and he tries to take that reality prematurely into his current reality of submission, he's going to blow apart the will of God. Does this make sense? What about the time he was hungering in the wilderness, starving to death? You realize his lineage, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather David said, the righteous will never suffer hunger or need for bread. Was Jesus not righteous then? Is that scripture not true? Because he's suffering hunger and he needs bread. Or is it the scripture's true, it's just in the wrong season? You with me? I know you want to take every little verse that you want to have applied right now in your life and apply it, but sometimes God has you in a place that you're not able to quote certain things because it's not his reality for you in that moment. You ever read Ecclesiastes? We're going to go there. Chapter 3, wisdom literature. To everything there is a season and a time. What happens if it's time to pull up that which is planted and you're trying to plant? 
You're working opposite to God's reality for that season of life. I don't know why we don't get this. How many of you guys have ever been on a boat? Right? How many of you like swimming in, in the lakes? Right? How many of you guys realize you're not going to do that in the winter? No matter how much you want to be on the water, certain seasons dictate what you do and don't do. You with me? See, wisdom gives the sons of God the ability to know the seasons of the Lord for his glory and his purposes and fully work out the scripture, revealing them in circumstances and situations by the timing and structure of God himself in those realities. You with me? 2 Corinthians 4.11, the Bible says, For we which live are always, now I don't know about you, but when the Bible says always, I pretty much think it means always. We are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Anybody want to put that on the back of their car? So that the life of Jesus might also be manifest in our mortal flesh. It takes death to manifest life. You cannot have growth without difficulty. If any of you have ever had sons and they grew up to be fairly tall, you know that somewhere along the age of 15, they hurt a lot. Because their bones are growing faster than the ability for their body to keep up. And it's called growing pains. <laughs> and yet we think that the Christian life is supposed to be a, a season of growth with no pain. Are you with me so far? What's the intention of God? That Christ be formed in us. How does that formation happen? Through walking, through difficulty in life. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows. Everything he went through was very hard, very difficult. So many times when he was dealing with his disciples, the Bible says he groaned in his spirit. That's not what we would call the joy of the Lord. I've been there. You're just like, oh, help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. Help me love him. Help me love him. Because if you don't, I'm going to break this situation bad. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all, not some, all of us, with open face behold in a glass the glory of God and are changed. That word changed means, again, metamorphosis, right? We're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're changed into the image of Christ himself, glory to glory. In other words, it doesn't happen right away. As soon as you get born again, you have the DNA of God inside of you, but you are not exactly like Jesus. You have his life, his nature, his DNA inside of you, but you still possess a lot of things that need to be broken off, pulled off of you. Grown up into you. You need to mature. With me? You realize that when you have a baby, it's nice and sweet and cute, and you're like, oh, it's four months old. It's so old. Do you realize that every evil that that child will ever manifest in its life is currently in itself right now? 
You just don't see it. Because it's not the season for it to be revealed. The Adamic nature fully rests in its fullness in a four-month-old baby. But it's so cute. So are we when we first get saved. Wow, look at them. They're just so on fire. I think it's awesome. It's like, oh, it's great, you know. But buckle up, buttercup, because it's coming. Amen. Glory to glory. And we have to move out of one into the other. Now, here's the thing, guys. I want you to, um, okay, so in certain seasons of our life, we're fully convinced that that reality, right, is the ultimate reality. And that we're right. Because that's what God's showing us at that moment. And, and you're not wrong. You're just not complete. My kids can come up to me and, Daddy, two plus two is four. Well, you're not wrong. But you're not complete. What's three times three, baby? Huh? You with me? And, and, and my child can run around everybody, I know two plus two, you know, and... And then she can try to apply that 2 plus 2 reality to every person's reality, but it's not going to fit other people's reality because that's not the reality they're in. Is it true? Yes. But is it true for those other people for that reality? No. Does this make sense? Yes. Are you with me? Yes. All right. Show the first picture, if you will. I want you to give some context of what happens. What I'm trying to show you today is how God works in your life. So those of you who are confused about all the things that are happening in your life and why they're going the way they're going and why things get difficult and why things get hard and why things get, you know, get interesting and you're like, what's going on? It didn't used to be that way and man, I used to be so free in God and now I'm fighting all these battles and blah, 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 blah and all this stuff and I felt like God told me to do this and, and now I try to do it and it doesn't work and, and man, I've prayed for people who've gotten healed and now everybody I touch that I pray for for healing, they don't get healed and I don't know what's going on and... You may have been there? Is that piece of the ultimate reality true in what it holds? But does it represent the full reality of the picture? Glory to glory, Christ being manifest. Season to season, things change, things grow, things mature. So when God is downloading a piece of revelation to your life about where he has you, the things he's telling you, and this piece may be his love, right? And that God is, you're finally seeing God as Abba. And like, wow, he's Abba. Like that piece represents he's Abba. And like, oh, he's Father. And you get this raging revelation. And you're just overwhelmed with the, the, the realization that God's a Father. But then you meet somebody who's a little farther down the line who's had this revelation. And they're in a season where they're being, it's being revealed to them that God is also a judge. And their peace Let's change it. That's their piece now. Is God's a judge? And these two people meet with their little pieces. And both of them try to superimpose their reality upon each other. Both are accurate. Both are right. But both 
are in different places in their life. And the person who thinks this is Abba will never believe that God is a judge until God shows them that he is. So at any point in your Christianity, which is where you're at right now, in, in a mental way, you'll admit you don't know everything. But in a tangible, applicable approach, you actually feel like and manifest the reality that you think you know God based upon your experiences. Your experiences aren't wrong. They're real. They're just not the complete picture. But to you, it's everything. And then you try to take that piece and apply it to somebody else who's being given a different piece of the puzzle. And this is how we create division and dissension in, in, in the church. You with me? Many parts, one body. You with me? All right, so how important is the individual piece? Very important. But is it the everything? Go to the next slide. Where does your eye immediately go to? The missing piece. Everything else in your life can be right, but people who see that one place that you're missing, that you don't see, that's what they see. That's how important one piece is. You often even overlook the rest of the pieces they have because of the ones they don't. You with me? So... How small is the one piece? It's pretty small. How big is the entire picture? It's a lot bigger. So let's just say we get our puzzle put together. We finally get our puzzle put together, and we're like, dude, I got this. <laughs> like, man, I've, I know I'm his father and judge and provider and healer, and I've got all these experiences of knowing who God is in my life, and, I've, and I'm intimate with all of them, and I've seen it manifest in people's lives. Go to the next slide. And there it is. It's like that's our, that's our candy land, you know. That's like everything. That's like we're finally, we understand we see a bigger picture. And this is why maturity is important. Because some people have been through and won battles you never even, don't even realize exist. Yeah. Like you don't even know they're out there and they've got the scars in their bodies and in their spirits and in their minds from having to walk through those things. And they can give you a greater context to your peace. However, if you think your peace is the greatest thing in the world, you're not going to listen to them because your peace in your mind supersedes the vision of the whole. So for one person, they start coming into this reality of, you know, that, that God's trying to teach them, I want you to hear me. I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear my voice. Has God ever taken you through a season like that? He's just, he, he let you, he's made you cut off all preachers and all things and all, just I want you to know my voice. Well, then you get into that season and then you become anti-church and anti-preacher because, oh no, we need to hear the Lord, brother. Are you right? Yeah, you're right. But you're also wrong. Well, you think, no, I'm not wrong because, because I know he, what he told me. 
And we need to hear the Lord. Well, what good does it do you to hear God on your individual basis? And then what he speaks to, who are you going to tell? Because you become a hypocrite by telling anybody else because they need to hear from God on their own. They don't need you to talk. You're a hypocrite now. Congratulations. You have, you have managed to take your peace and uh, elevate it above the whole. The whole. Because how many of you guys know that God moves through people? He even did. He moves through humans. That's why his son became one. But are they wrong? No. I mean, you need a season in your life where you need to hear the Lord. You need to know his voice. But you also need a season in your life where you submit to somebody who can hear him too. Why? Because their part of the body is not the same as yours, and you're going to miss out on that part of God if you don't get that download from them because you're never going to get it on your own because we're many parts, one body. But these people who isolate and make their own little, you know, uh, personal relationship with Jesus a greater understanding than the whole itself are taking their piece out of the puzzle and saying, I refuse to be a part of that because God told me that i got to hear from him and him alone. And so they create division in the church. They don't, they don't join a body. They don't fellowship with believers because they're taking their current season and they're making it absolutely everything, which only shows their ignorance to God's full manifestation of his intention. You with me? So is this the end? Is this the arrival? We get our little piece. We finally get our puzzle together. Well, you know what? Where do you hang a picture like that? So compared to that reality, how big is the individual piece? And so when you finally get your picture together, God's like, well, yeah. But let me show you why I put the picture together. This is what I'm after. The same thing can be said of the chair in the house and the individual nails in the chair and the fabric, all processional, building one thing to be able to have a corporate expression of reality, one building as unto the Lord. And let's say we finally get that, that thing built and all of us are manifesting our individual realities of God in perfect harmony and order. And then we're like, wah, we got it built, man. Wah, you know, we're just excited. And then we're looking at that one little guy who just got saved, like, I got my peace, you know, and you're just like, eh, okay, you know, next slide. Now, you, let me ask you this, when you're staring at your one piece, how much are you really missing? But it's everything to you. That circumstance, that trial, that situation, that revelation is absolutely everything to you. And when you go to talk with people about Jesus over coffee, you know what you talk about? Your little piece. And let's just say we finally get there. Like, just maybe. Just, we get there. <laughs> wow, we just changed the whole world. Next slide. You realize there's stuff out there we don't even know about? Yeah. This is where we're headed. 
like the manifold realities of what God is doing. That's just world dot somewhere in there. Go to the last slide, please. It's pretty big. You know why churches get divided? Because we care more about our individual peace than God's intention. Because we're not listening to the spirit of wisdom. If you'll remember back, the purpose and the intention of wisdom is not for you. We preached the whole sermon on it. Wisdom is for the building of others. Make sense? So, immaturity is not being astute enough to know that our current reality and revelation are subject to the coming revelations that will bring us context. Where God's taking you will often make sense of where He has you now. But you don't see that until you get there. This is why we need faith. I mentioned it in John 11 that Jesus didn't heal his best friend because his best friend and his sisters didn't see the greater picture. Sometimes you're trying to make sense of your current realities based upon what God is or isn't doing whenever you haven't seen the end of the story yet. I want to preface these things. I do believe. I mean, I just announced the healing school. I, I believe in that stuff, man. I've seen it happen. But do you realize at some point, no matter how good of a healer you are, even if you actually carry the gift, you're never going to be able to heal everybody all the time. You have to die. At some point, you have to die. You can't heal everybody and raise everybody from the dead. You can't do it. At some point, you're going to pray for somebody, and you're going to have to face the reality that God has a bigger picture than what you can see. Now, I'm not trying to make excuses for lack of healing. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying, listen, you're talking to somebody who has spent weeks, day and night, praying over persons, people, and never leaving their side, believing, confessing, receiving all the, and burying them. I've been through the classes. I've been, I, I know the scriptures. What do you do when that happens? You understand this. I'm being given another piece to the puzzle. And I'm not going to make that one or this one, the entirety of everything. Because here's what people do. 
when they finally realized that Paul left certain people sick and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I know there's scriptures that people, oh, yeah, you say that stuff. Listen, listen, there's certain realities that you'll face at some point in your life, and you're going to go, why didn't it happen? But then what happens is, is some people go, well, they'll take that verse, and they'll just, once they finally get that reality, they'll bail on the healing reality. Like, well, you know, we just, we're, we're not going to do that anymore because there's sometimes where God just, is, he just doesn't heal, so we're just not going to pray at all. You can't make each piece the whole. You, you understand what I'm saying? You can't come into the reality where God was speaking to you only and then make that the ultimate reality and not listen to any other voice of reason in your life. And then when God takes you to another season where he realizes you realize that God does speak through people because, my God, he's using me to speak to them. Then when you realize that reality, you can't make it all about that and not hearing the Lord on your own either. You with me? This is why we need older and younger people because the older people see the entire picture but they've lost the zeal of the individual piece. And the younger people have the zeal of the individual piece and they don't see the big picture. You with me? And so when you see somebody get fired up about salvation, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I have that peace, too. And I just kind of lost my flame. Let's get them saved. Because you see somebody young and going, ah, you know, and you're just like, well, I need, I need to be there with them because they're about to get smacked in the face. <laughs> you guys, are, you've been saved more than 20 years. You've lost the fire for certain things at some point in your life. I promise you. I promise you. You understand what I'm saying this morning? What's God's intention? It's that Christ be formed in us, right, to accomplish his purposes and his reality. But that has to happen through difficult situations and trials because every time God gives us a new peace, it's going to blow our minds on the one he gave us last time. Why do you think Paul, toward the end of his life, after having all the experiential knowledge, revelation, I mean, this guy went to heaven and said, I can't even, there are no human words I can string together to tell you what I saw. It's not in the vocabulary. And yet he says, after that reality, seeing Jesus himself, all the experience, beaten over 300 times, Scars in his body, established churches, healings, dead raisings, leaving people sick. All of the experiential reality, he says, that I might know him. Why would a guy like Paul at the end of his life pray that with all that? We're we're still trying to get to the reality he had, and the reality he had didn't satisfy him because he says, all I want to know is him crucified and risen. Do you, do you realize how, how simplistic Paul got down toward the end of his life after all the things that we're trying to pursue and the circumstances we're trying to fix? He said, I have the care of the churches on me daily. I've had this. I was in fear. Blah, blah, blah. You realize that Paul said he was in fear? Go read your Bibles. On the outside, we're fighting. On the inside, we are full of fear. Yeah, it's super spiritual reality when a young believer finally gets the reality that they shouldn't confess things out of their mouth that aren't life, right? Well, then they start kind of getting uber religious because if you say anything that's actual just the way things are happening, oh, brother, don't speak death. (laughs) Paul's like, 
I'm afraid. Oh, brother, you haven't been given the spirit of fear. Oh, thanks for telling me that. I mean, do you see how crazy we get? And we take our little bitty piece and we try to superimpose it in somebody else's reality and make them feel like they're lesser than us and we're going to try to pull them up because they're not, they're not, they're not exercising faith, brother. The spirit of love casts out fear, brother. You must not be in love, Paul. My goodness. See, I've been around enough to see all this garbage. It's true, but it's not the whole. You know what we need to do? We really need to live in a constant state of humility. And enjoy the seasons that people walk in. And not try to give them more than what they can handle at the moment. And be there for them when you know things are going to happen. And then get somebody in your life that's a little farther ahead of you that you'll actually listen to instead of trying to regurgitate some formatted theology that you think God's telling you. And then not listen to, because you're, you finally, there's this dangerous place in the spirit realm called the teenage years. They don't listen. I'm not talking about in the flesh. I'm talking about in the spirit realm. Spiritual growth, I, and the spiritual teenagers are the freaking hardest to talk to. You know what they say? Yeah, I know. No, never mind. I'll just walk with you till you figure it out. Because their reality at that point in time is the ultimate reality. And what they believe about a certain cultural issue or political issue is everything. And you will not move them off of it until that reality betrays them. And then they're going to go, what happened? I thought. You know how many people I've watched get fired up for certain things and they go out and it starts working for them. And then after a few years it quits working and they get disenfranchised and disillusioned. And they're just like, I don't know, it doesn't even work. God's like, I don't know, you know, I don't know. And they want to quit. Do you know that's why we're supposed to disciple people? Because you need to teach them that that peace God is giving them doesn't betray the one that they've had. It's just in addition to those things so that way they can have a fuller picture of the manifest glory of God. Why? Because if we only knew success, we'll never know the value of the cross. We are always bearing in our body the death of the Lord Jesus. So that the life of Christ might be manifest inside of us. This is the reality of God. So you take a person who just got saved. And they're used to being walking in grace. And in the first two, three, four years, man, it's just like awesome. Their relationship with their wives is good. And the presence of God is in their house. And woo, they're all fired up. And they're coming to church. And all of a sudden, God says, it's time for you to walk. And their feeble little chubby legs are like, ooh, and they fall backwards. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, it's never happened to me before. So it's because you've been carried your whole life yep. by grace. 
And it's not that the grace of God is not there for you, but he's going to teach you how to be a son. He's going to teach you how to be a warrior. He's going to teach you how to pray. He's going to teach you how to fast. He's going to teach you how to fight. He's going to teach you how to believe. He's going to teach you how to die and teach you how to rise. But what we want is the reality of being carried like babies our entire life and never fighting for anybody but ourselves. That's not the life of a son. A son lives his entire life for other people. Just ask Jesus. He never made his current peace the whole reality. Because he went through season after season after season after season after season and even rebukes the Pharisees for not understanding the seasons of life. Have you read John 15? <laughs> we all want to bear fruit, right? Man, I really want to bear fruit. I really want to bear fruit because the Bible says that's how we please God. I want to bear fruit. But what happens when you start bearing fruit? You're in a season of fruit bearing, right? And then you begin to look at everybody else who's not bearing fruit because their stub's been chopped off all the way down to the ground. You're like, well, brother, you just don't know how to bear fruit. <laughs> and you're like, no, bro, I've been bearing fruit a long time, but what happened to me is I just got cut off. Well, that's not biblical, bro. God wouldn't do that to you. Every branch that bears fruit, he cuts it down so it can bear more. And if you're in a season of being cut, everybody who's in a season of bearing fruit is going to look at you and think you're not a good enough Christian. Because they're applying their reality into yours whenever you've already had their reality and they're completely oblivious, oblivious to the one you're in. And when you are being cut, there is no ability to bear fruit. And you cannot claim those scriptures in that season. Wisdom says to everything there is a time and a season. Learning how to walk with God is understanding your season. You know how many people I walk, walk with and talk to and counsel? They don't know the season that they're in. It's dangerous. Because then you misapply the word of God and you get confused because you're like, well, I'm trying to bear fruit and God's cutting you down, you know. And it's just you feel like you're helpless and hopeless and worthless and lifeless. What do you do when you spend 15 years building a church and in one day it gets knocked down to two people? What do you do? Tell me. Give me your wisdom. You know what I did? I cried for two years. I know you would have been a lot more spiritual than me in that situation and had all the right answers. But I just laid on my face and was like, what the heck is going on? I spent most of my life building this. It's all gone. You know how easy it is to quit? The devil telling you, well, you weren't right enough, you weren't holy enough, you weren't fast enough, you didn't pray enough, you didn't do this enough. You know what the devil wants us to do? He wants to make, he wants to give us, make us make excuses, right, for the current piece of the reality we're in because it doesn't match the one we just left. See, I bore a lot of fruit, and then God's like, okay, because you're bearing fruit, I'm going to give you the next piece of the puzzle. <laughs> Those of you who know me, I've talked about this, but just briefly, I mean, in the horticulture, I've been in it for a long time, but you know that whole reality is he's talking about a grapevine, and if you understand how they raise grapes, you'll have this 30, 40-foot monster grapevine that's producing all this fruit, and you know what they do? They cut it down to where it's like two inches off the ground. It's just a trunk left. 
That's what he's talking about, John 15. I mean, why are you doing this to me? You know why? Because two years after that, that grapevine will produce more grapes than it's ever produced its entire life. Sometimes you have to shock the system for it to go, I now know my purpose. It's not about growth. It's about more fruit. See, sometimes in your Christianity, you get so, so consumed with your own growth, you forget to bear fruit. Remember the story Jesus tells about the tree that doesn't bear fruit? He says, Leave me, let, me, let me dig around it. Let me work on it. Let me dung it. It's taking up space. See, all the growth in the world in your personal life doesn't mean a darn thing unless it's bearing fruit. So you can sit there and boast to me all, all your revelations and the growth in your life and how you're not the same person, but if it's not bearing fruit, you're, a, you're taking up space. What is fruit? Fruit is food for another. What happens when you eat a seed? In its natural form, I know in our American culture and all modern cultures, we've got these things called toilets that get rid of all that stuff. But in the natural order of things, if you're camping in the woods and you eat a piece of fruit and the next day you have to go to the bathroom, you go to the bathroom and guess what happens? Out of that nastiness comes a plant of life that begins to grow and something beautiful is established for somebody else coming by later on to eat from. Your hardships and, and garbage and trials and difficulties and the waste and the things that seem like are, are, that stink in your life are there for a reason. And you think it's about you and God says, no, it's about somebody else who's about to walk your trail and you're going to leave something behind that's going to bring nations to me. But when you make it about you, you cease to operate in the spirit of wisdom. You can grow all you want. But fruit is about everybody else. Are you, are you, are you? Y'all should have told me I'm going long. See, the mature people have lived long enough to know that each glory they come into will be replaced by, by the next one. And so when God begins to change your season, you're just, and people are like, why aren't you freaking out? It's like, well, I've just done this long enough to know that whether I like it or not, the next piece is coming. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't stop it, nor do I want to, because when I get through it all and look back on it, it's going to be the most beautiful thing I've ever went through. Yeah. You know how you know that? By going through a few of them. <laughs> but when you meet somebody who's going through their first one, rough they think God isn't even real anymore and that story Jesus told about the seed that got burned up by the heat that's a lot of people who only work on one piece and when God starts doing something different they're confused do you need to have a foundation of hearing the Lord on your own absolutely do you need a foundation of submission and, and godly counsel and authority in your life? Absolutely. Do you need to heal the sick and raise the dead? Absolutely. But you also need to know what to do when they don't get up. I realized a long time ago, it's his ability, not mine. Either way, it's not my fault. 
You know, I, I grew up in that culture back in the day where if you couldn't get somebody healed, it was because you didn't have enough faith or because they didn't have enough faith. Well, you mean to tell me that the fact that I stepped out and did it wasn't enough? My Bible says a mustard seed. I think I did that. Like I put myself out there, <laughs> you know. It's not my job to figure out why things happen or don't. My job is to do them. You understand that? That your, your failures in your obedience do not represent or in, indicate your stature with Jesus. What's the goal? To make you like Christ. How does he do that? You grow. Seasons, times in your life, maturity, glory to glory, the same way. Do you realize even Jesus' miracles were on an uphill trend? You can, you can graph them. He didn't start out raising the dead. The first miracles he produced were inanimate objects, turning water to wine. And then if you graph, if you chart his miracles as he goes up, they get more and more and more and more and more and more and more until he finally raises himself from the dead. And even that wasn't for him. It was for us. I mean, that's something, right? Jesus said in John 14, 12, we'll do greater things than he did. He raised himself from the dead. Like, we're still trying to raise somebody else from the dead. You know what would be really cool is if you died and you raised yourself from the dead. But it can't be about you. Does this make sense to you? To everything there's a season, a season every purpose under heaven, Ecclesiastes 3.1. Time to be born, a time to die. Time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. Time to kill, a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to re refrain from embracing. A time to get, a time to lose, to keep, to cast away, to rend, to sow, to keep silence, to speak, to love, to hate, to war, and to peace. The Bible says the spirit of wisdom rested on Jesus. This is wisdom literature. Jesus knew how to operate, and there's certain times where he speaks, and we would be quiet, and we would be quiet, and he speaks. And if you operate outside the season of God, you're in contradiction to what God is doing in the moment. Do you know why Jesus had a 100% success rate? Because he only healed, taught, preached, and teached to those he told the Father to do. You realize Jesus walked past that man at the gate beautiful many, many times, and he never healed him? Why? Because that healing was reserved for Peter. Am I saying you don't pray for everybody? No, I'm saying in order to figure out who you need to pray for, you need to start praying for everybody. <laughs> and then you'll figure out when God's moving you and when you're moving yourself, and then sometimes it'll work both ways. And if you try to build a theology out of it and teach it, you're going to teach it, and somebody else is going to go do it, and they're going to be disgruntled because it didn't work. We want to make it about religious everything. We've done it before. You, you, you fast and pray for three days because you know somebody's got cancer and you're going to pray for them. You fast and pray for three days and God tells you to, uh, to sing and dance and jump over them and you do that and they get healed. You're like, whoa, this thing really works. So the next time you find out somebody's got cancer, what do you do? You quit eating. 
oh, three days, and you go, oh, that's pretty. And you're singing and dancing and jumping over them, and then they die. And you're like, what, 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 what? What? You, you feel me? You understand what I'm saying? In Luke, in Luke 12, 56, Jesus says, You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the seasons of life. That word means season. We need to know the seasons of God. When Jesus is in the Gethsemane, he can't quote any other scripture than what God is asking him to quote. When he's on the cross, he can't quote resurrection scriptures. He has to quote Psalm 22. You ever read Psalm 22? That's the scripture he had to quote on the cross. He couldn't quote any other scripture than Psalm 22. You know, the cool thing about Psalm 22 is, is the last half of the verse is about re- the chapter is about rejoicing. So, you know, what happens? See, Jesus was too weak to sing. It was that, we look at these things as psalms, but in the Hebrew, they're songs. Right? Okay, so if I started out, which I can't sing, as I started out, amazing grace, and left it right there, what's your, what's your mind do? Why? Because you know the psalm. So Jesus is on the cross, Right? Psalm 22 is always a psalm of hope and restoration after death. So when Jesus starts saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was singing a song, and people in their head knew that song, and they started singing the entire song. Well, if they go through the entire song, they go through the last half of the chapter, and it talks about rejoicing and God bringing back life and restoration and hope, and they're like, what? Right in the middle of the most terrible thing that's happening on the face of the planet. Jesus starts their minds into a chorus that forces their brains to go into the reality of confessing that something better is coming because these things don't look like what they really are. You understand? You can't define your reality based upon the peace God is giving you. You have to wait for the entire picture, and the picture goes in the house, and the house goes into the nations, and the nations go into the cosmos, and the cosmos go into the hands of God, who is running this entire thing. Yes? Yes. Growth requires exposure, temptation, difficulty. But in the midst of all of that, God begins to show you a different piece of who he is. How many of you knew God was a healer even before you got healed? But after you got healed, you knew him as a healer in a more intimate way. See, certain things we only possess in reality of our logic. The other things we possess in the reality of nature because Christ is being formed in us. But guess what? You had to get sick or you had to get hurt or you had to get injured before you understood in actual practicality of his healing nature. You weren't wrong before, but you were experientially incorrect. The same way God, and I know this sounds a little sacrilegious, but God knew about humanity, but he'd never fully experienced being human until he came. God never had to wipe his own rear until Jesus came in the flesh. 
There's certain things God chose to experience, even though he knew the reality of the, of the essence of it. Logically speaking, he never practically experienced it. And there's certain things that you're going to have to practically experience to know the fullness of the reality of God in those situations of your life. And many times they're going to look like something you don't want to have happen. My children, all of them, in every area of life that I've ever tried to teach them in, had an extreme aversion to learning something new because of the difficulty of it. No matter how many times I told them, no matter how many times I told them, no matter how many times I told them, they wouldn't believe it until they finally had enough courage to get in and see it. Riding a bike, daddy, I can't do it. It's too hard. I don't want to do it. It hurts. It falls, this and that. There's times when you're walking with Jesus, he takes you through those things that are difficult. My youngest daughter, we have a boat that has a slide off the back of it, and my youngest daughter, I kept telling her, I tell her all the time, you're bigger than fear, honey. You're bigger than fear. And she would jump off the side of the boat, but she wouldn't go down the slide, which is the same height. Because she's afraid. And no matter how many times I told her, no matter how many times I told her, she wouldn't believe it. Because it was hard. And there's hardships you're going to walk through in your life, and God's going to be telling you, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, whether through yourself, through somebody else, and you're just not going to believe it. Until you finally get through it, until you finally take that step, until you finally put yourself out there and you go, it wasn't that bad after all. It was, yeah, it was hard, but man, I am glad I went through that. And guess what? If you don't make it through it and you die, congratulations. You're free. (laughs) The rest of us will be envious. We still got to walk our trail. Amen? Has this helped any of you? I know that if you haven't walked this a long period of time, you might end up thinking, like, I disagree with a lot of stuff he said. But you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm not trying to get you to see my way. I'm just trying to help you understand the individual pieces of how God works in your life. And if you walk this thing long enough, you're going to find what I'm telling you is absolutely true. Nothing ever works 100% of the time. God was eventually going to cut you. He's eventually going to take you to a cross. He's going to eventually take you to a hardship. He's eventually going to take you to a trial. It's going to be hard. But it doesn't change his plan. When these things hit your life, tell yourself this, just being given a new piece to the puzzle. And I'll see clearly here on the other side. I'm going to make it through it. God hasn't left me. And this is going to form Christ in me. How many of you guys have went through something hard and you realized it formed Christ in you once you got through it? You can stand. Pray and ask God what season you're in. Because if you're trying to believe for something outside of the season he has you in, you're going to be very frustrated. The wisdom literature says everything is beautiful in its season. It's up to us to find the beauty. Winter is hard, but it can be very beautiful. Unless you're only focused on spring. 
many of you guys know that you begin to despise the season you're in if you begin to look towards the one you're not, you don't yet possess? You begin to miss the reality of the beauty around you because you're longing for something that God isn't giving you yet. And no matter how many times you want spring to come, it, you can't force it or will it to come. You just need to learn to embrace it until he changes your season. And then guess what? It'll be beautiful too. Father, we thank you. We thank you for where we're at. We don't despise the pieces we've been given. We know we need more. And we know that you're patient with us to walk with us and to continue unfolding your reality to us. Because you are a God. You're a Father. You're a healer. You're a judge. You're a provider. You're a banner. You're more than we know. And we want to know all of it. All of it. But we want the wisdom to know what to apply when, as your son did. Because he said, I only do what I see my father do. So teach us to be like that. Form Christ in us. So that your glory and your honor and your plan and your pleasure will be accomplished in the earth. We bless you, Abba. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We welcome you guys to stay and eat with us. If you need to go, you're dismissed.